0: The Axe of the Blood
1: God. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford.
2: Hello everybody, I have come down from Mario Town to talk to you all.
1: Yes, we've been playing a lot of games. Yesterday was the day when all of the reviews dropped—three major reviews in one day. Armageddon. Nadia, Nadia got to review Mario Odyssey, which was pretty wicked. (laughs) I bet that was stressful, though.
2: It was a little bit stressful, but not nearly as stressful for our poor guides. People, holy moly!
1: Oh my gosh, poor Tom having to hunt down all of those moons.
2: I think there's 900, last I heard, something like that. That's
1: insane! Believe it. It's like all oh, the Koroks in Breath of the Wild. It's yes, like, exactly. really, how many Koroks are in this game?
2: <laughs> and then you find them all, and you get a turd.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's Nintendo just trolling you.
2: That's totally a troll. It's the funniest troll in a long time, frankly.
1: I think I, 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 think I said that my, uh, my girlfriend, her only goal in Breath of the Wild is to find the Koroks, all of the Koroks.
2: She's a real completionist. Holy crow.
1: It's not just that it's a matter of being a completionist. It's that she finds sort of peace in these repetitive actions where I'm like, screw grinding, screw this boring (laughs) crap. Life is way too short. She's like, yes, it's kind of a Zen thing.
2: I can see where she's coming from because uh, I'm kind of that way. I'm, I'm kinda, a little bit like you, but whereas my husband is like, when we get a new game, the first thing he wants to do is go through all the menus, go through the options. And then when I play a game with him, he's like, oh, you missed something over there. Go over there. Like, no, I don't care about that right now. I I want to go forward. I was uh,
1: I was personally up until 2.30 in the morning last night messing around with the Xbox One X that I got in the mail. Oh, nice. I discovered something, Nadia, and I'm a little embarrassed about this. What's that? So, I have this fancy 4K TV, mm-hmm. and I don't. It's really hard to set up HDR and everything properly because if you just switch to HDR, you don't automatically get really nice colors. It'll just go really dark. Really? Yeah. And so, you're kind of going, what the heck? So, you'll spend a lot of time going through videos, going through forums, looking for the optimal settings on your TV so it's just right, getting the (laughs) lighting perfect. And for ages, I had this feature on my TV, which is a Samsung KS7000. I had it set to HDR Plus because I was like, well, you obviously have to have this on to be able to make it be an HDR, right? Right. No, you don't want that on. It's an (laughs) HDR emulator. Oh. oh. Yes. That enhances regular images to HDR.
2: Oh, jeez.
1: Yeah, you want to put in a whole different set of, like, things. And so I was like, what? These are hard
2: nowadays.
1: <laughs> they are. It's total hard mode. Also, every game now has its own set of HDR calibration.
2: Yeah, I noticed that.
1: That you definitely want to go in and fiddle with. But mm-hmm. by 2.30 in the morning, I was like, yes. Yes, it's perfect. It's optimal. The the brightness is just right and the white levels. Yes.
2: <laughs> and then you're like I'm going to bed.
1: Yeah, I was like cool. So now what? Maybe I should play some of these games. I better go to bed. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of other games that I'm playing right now, I I never thought this would happen, Nadia, and in a way I kind of fought tooth and nail against it, mm-hmm. but I have to it has to be said I'm Kind of hooked on Destiny 2. Yeah, uh,
2: <laughs> it got its claws into you.
1: It got its claws like into me. Damn wizard on the moon again. Gosh darn it! Uh, it's a really good game. It is. I I don't no cynicism. Wow. I it is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It Has some of the best just environments that I've seen. They're so colorful. I I love the terrain and everything. the The gunplay feels amazing. It yeah, does.
2: I was actually thinking today about how much uh, just even the weight behind a certain attack can really kind of make or break a game for me. Just Yes. If you have a, a repetitive action that's just kind of fun or or therapeutic to execute, that can that can really make a game a favorite for me. It's probably why I love Castlevania Four so much.
1: There's so much that goes into it. It's not just... It's everything from the way the explosion looks, like how big mm-hmm. it is. Mm-hmm. To Satisfying the rumble expression. that goes through your controller, yeah, to the sound effect, and if you don't get all of those elements right, it's just not that fun to use. Oh, and how the enemy reacts, too, that's a big uh-huh. one. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you feel so awesome all the time in <laughs> Destiny 2, and it does such a good job of it's like Diablo 3 in that it just keeps feeding you loot, right? There's yeah. that key constant progression.
2: Well, (sighs) well, congratulations, I suppose, on your awakening. I I don't know what to call it. I don't know.
1: (laughs) I've seen a lot of people who finish the game complaining about the lack of endgame content, which reminds me a lot of all the complaints in MMORPGs. Mm -hmm. And I'm just not the kind of person who will sit there and obsess over everything with endgame. Right, right. What I'm going to do is I'm going to play through the campaign, which psh, I'm not even paying attention to the story. I don't care. Like some stuff is happening. <laughs> some weapon can destroy the sun or something. Oh, you don't want that. There's a magic thing called the Traveler, which is giving me superpowers. Um, I, can revive, I can revive with something called the Light. I don't know. I don't care. <laughs> a thing All I know happening. is that I'm going to these really pretty planets, and there's always lots of quests and things to do on them that will get me rare gear. Sometimes there are public events like in a proper MMORPG mm-hmm. where I can take, like, where I can fight a big enemy with a whole bunch of other randos. That's fun. Uh, and then when I finish the campaign and I hit level 20 or whatever, pff, cool. Maybe I'll do some other quests. Mm-hmm. But that'll be pretty much it for me. Like, I don't need. To do every last bit of content, I'm not a power player in that no, regard. No, no,
2: it reminds me of like me and Skyrim, where I love the game, but I have not completed like half the sub quests in that game. I I got the one, I did the ones that gave me the fancy horses, though.
1: Gotta have a everybody always ones. wants the end game content. Pokemon, on the other hand, mm. that's a whole different ball of wax. You better <laughs> give me, but there's a reason for that. The campaign for me is not interesting enough to sustain my interest.
2: Yeah, Pokemon, uh, I think they really improved that with uh, Sun and Moon, but I still would have liked more of an endgame with that. Because you also, when you think about it, you spend a lot of time with your Pokemon, you level them up, you make them stronger. It's nice to do something else with them other than get your ass walloped online.
1: Yeah, I have this massive menagerie of level 100 monsters that I've been carrying around with me literally since Pokemon Ruby.
2: <laughs> so you want to go like beat up some bug trainers?
1: Uh, yeah, I well, I don't want to just do the battle tower over and over again. Yeah, exactly. I I love the stuff like in Pokemon Black and White when you went to Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> and you could get a little star above your Infernape's head or oh. the Pokemon World Tournament or the, the, the battle challenges. Mm-hmm. That stuff is all fun. And when they really stretch out and do interesting things, I love it. Yeah, I'm really And that. fingers crossed Sun, right? for Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. Yeah.
2: It's looking a lot more interesting than it was at first. I am looking forward to it.
1: Yes. As for Destiny 2, it's really remarkable how much they borrow from the RPG genre in terms of various conceits to keep people playing. It's actually (laughs) downright evil. Oh. Just in the sense of they perfectly calibrate the loot Mm. and everything to make you want to keep going it 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 reaches into the lizard part of your brain with the colors and <laughs> the higher numbers and Stages. you go oh but this is a this looks really cool and b this is so much stronger than before excellent look look mm-hmm. this this is great i want to keep playing i
2: actually have a secret like satisfaction and love for when you buy a new item or weapon in an rpg and you just see that jump in power like mm-hmm. yes come at me now
1: the arrows the arrows and the the happy color, the yellow <laughs> or the green, as opposed to the red.
2: Oh, that dreaded red.
1: The dreaded red with the the arrows pointing down. And you go no, no, no,
2: don't want that. You're right. That is very that is a very lizard response, isn't it?
1: And then the worst is when you go, oh, that has a really good secondary ability, but and it raises certain stats, but it lowers lowers other stats. What do oh. I
2: do? I'm having that problem a lot with Final Fantasy IX, but I suppose we'll get on that soon enough.
1: Oh, are you having to make tough decisions in terms of your gear, now? I am
2: making some tough decisions in terms of my gear. Uh, This game forces you to do it. Uh, I mean, the nice thing is that most abilities don't take too long to learn. So once you have a piece of crap on you, you can just kind of chuck it off once you get what you need. But yeah, it's still for that little while you're like, just squirming as you go across the world map. Don't touch me. I have a cotton robe on. (laughs)
1: uh one other like note uh another game that's coming out this week is assassin's creed origins Uh, takes a big page from witcher 3
2: yeah so i'm so i've heard i haven't played it hopefully i don't know if i'll have time to but if i do i mean i'm not a huge assassin's creed fan but it does sound like it might be it is pretty fun to indulge in at least
1: i installed it last night it has a very pretty it has a very pretty title screen on the Xbox One X. <laughs>
2: <laughs> title screen check off, good.
1: Yes, I. The only thing that I will say is get used to this, Nadia. Mm-hmm. Witcher Three is going to be the template for a lot of games going yeah, forward. Yeah, uh,
2: that's what I was thinking, and I think even Zelda Breath of the Wild was very Witcher Three ish, wasn't it? Um, definitely uh, Skyrim ish, but
1: I don't know. I think Breath of the Wild was very much its own thing. Which I is think good. I think Nintendo really just, they have their own voice. They have their own understanding of how to develop an open world. Yeah. And they really nailed the sense of both being really lonely, Mm -hmm. but also always finding something just over the next hill.
2: Yeah. And it's interesting to see Mario Odyssey, Uh, Miyamoto said that the games weren't inspired by each other, but with Mario Odyssey, the worlds are a little smaller, well, they're much smaller, they're much denser. So it's you don't get that sense of loneliness, of course, that you do with Zelda, but that you do get that sense of wow, there's always something around the corner to look at here.
1: Yeah, with Witcher three or with Witcher three, it's such a perfect template for open world games because, first of all, unlike say Skyrim, which is actually still pretty mechanics driven, same with mm-hmm. Fallout, it's much more of an action game, right? Yeah. Uh, the action is actually probably the weakest part of the game, <laughs> <laughs> all things considered, but it's an action game, so you can hypothetically pretty easily translate that from a variety of different games. And then there's always so much to do. Mm-hmm. There's so many interesting quests. Uh, you can go in many different directions with the story. And of course, because it's so big, it just automatically keeps you engaged in everything. And it has that loop mechanic. Of
2: course, the old loop mechanic
1: the good old loot mechanic. So it makes it's a no-brainer for them to put this into Assassin's Creed. Yeah. The thing that I'm kind of wondering is it's I played some AC Origins, it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Beautiful, combat's okay, not too bad. But and this is a thing that Horizon Zero Dawn also struggled with in my opinion, side quests no good. Um, maybe not good maybe it's less a matter of not being good and more rote and mechanical
2: yeah you know that was a problem with syndicate which is uh, a game that i i did like actually quite a bit i think i really like the characters i really like the setting but the, the side quests were very template driven
1: yes it's they're very rote and yes. very mechanical the sense of they're just being put in to be content exactly. we need content we need exactly. to fill the spreadsheet It says we have X number of side quests per area, and we have a template so that we can churn these out as fast as humanly possible.
2: Yeah, so you punch 10 faces and move on.
1: Yeah, Assassin's Creed Origins tries to copy some of what Witcher 3 does, because you have, like, the assassin abilities, and you can turn on detective vision, you can see the little blood stains, and you climb up the thing to hit the little prompt, and then you keep going, right? And then you Mm -hmm. kill the guy at the end. Witcher 3, the side quests were brilliant because none of them, they rarely felt like they were throwaways. Right. They felt like main quests unto themselves. They were, usually had a really interesting story to tell. They had a beginning, a middle, and a climax. Hmm. They they had their own little arc, right? Right. You weren't just doing busy work to get the reward. They had a climax. Yeah. And uh, just doing the little quests in Witcher 3 were a pleasure unto themselves. And I respect what they did with that so, so much. And I really feel like these Me Too AAA games that are trying to capture the magic of the Witcher, they just don't get that part. Yeah,
2: that tends to happen. I mean, we're seeing, I think we've talked about this in the past about how uh, developers, AAA publishers they see a, a, an idea that really catches on they say, we can do that and they kind of miss the point of what makes it so attractive to people and as you say, The Witcher 3 is a good example of that because uh, yeah, you do kind of need those side quests that are fulfilling, that, that contribute to the main storyline, that contribute to your character development not just like, hey go clean up this alley, okay, great thanks
1: so much of game development now is practically an assembly line. Exactly. Uh, because you Which have literally fault. literally hundreds upon hundreds of people. Maybe I think Assassin's Creed had well in excess of 500 uh, wow. 500 developers or something like that. And in in that case, and you're trying to hit certain deadlines and mm-hmm. milestones and you're just churning out assets and everything. And I am... I don't remember how big CD Projekt Red is. I, I, Danny O'Dwyer did a really great making of The Witcher uh, um, video documentary series, which is absolutely worth watching. Which, by the way, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Witcher th- the original Witcher might be uh, ten years old uh, today.
2: Uh, yeah, I don't know if it's today exactly, but it's around that uh, around that time, I suppose. Yeah, around that
1: time. Yeah, it came I out at the end of October. Yes, you told me that story.
2: (laughs) That's a great story. Those poor guys are just like off in the corner somewhere. That's why I'm so happy for them.
1: Uh, But it it came out almost exactly a decade ago and nobody would have guessed that it would become, I Uh, would argue, the game of the generation at this point.
2: It's definitely like one of those rare games that, as you say, influences everything around it and changes things.
1: Sure. Yeah, I was just reading a story today. Um, I, I think it was... Uh, yeah, Matt wrote about it. It came from an interview with an ex-Visceral employee, RIP, and how Nintendo, uh, how uh, EA is going, more open world, more engagement, keep people playing. We need the monetization in the loot. Mm-hmm. More open world, open world, open world. So <laughs> publishers must be looking at Witcher 3 and just drooling. Yeah. Right? Yep. We're entering a period at post-Breath of the Wild and post-Witcher 3 where developers are just going for sheer scale, they just want to yeah, overwhelm that, you with that things. Huge
2: world. But even though the thing about Zelda is that there's always something to see and to do, and as you say, Witcher Three is the same case. And Skyrim was, for its time, was extremely interesting too. There was nothing like it. But uh, I guess I'm satisfied as I long like, as I get. I like
1: Skyrim because it's my own fan fiction game. I'm writing my exactly. own fan fiction.
2: <laughs> you are living a fan fiction. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really enjoy that fact, that thing about it too so i'm gonna play
1: some i'm gonna play some ac Origins, see how i feel about it uh but i've heard that it has a little more padding than i would like and mm-hmm. i do not like padding <laughs> it's not <laughs> mike my favorite to thing. really like it mike is an assassin's creed nut
2: he is he's nuts about assassin's creed and and that's fine there are people many people out there who know what they want out of assassin's creed and um i think we talked on the the flagship podcast about uh how Syndicate was a good game, but it was a victim of unity and the bad press that that game got for being such a shoddy piece of crap. Mm. Um, which I didn't play it, to be fair, but the bugs... Also,
1: Assassin's Creed fatigue.
2: Exactly, exactly. There was a real fatigue going on, and so uh, people really needed a break. And it's that's too bad for Syndicate, because like I said, I really did like that story and those characters. Uh, but yeah, I guess... Um, from what I can tell with Assassin's Creed Origins, yes, it is more Assassin's Creed, but Ubisoft really kind of took the time to, to give it a, a little bit more polish, really build it up. Uh, you can make friends with hippopotamuses, hippopotami. Yes.
1: So yes, I, w- I was getting chased by a lot of hippopotami.
2: <laughs> They're very, very aggressive animals. I don't think people real- a lot of people don't realize they actually are the most dangerous animals on Earth.
1: The solution to everything in AC Origins is hippopotami lions. <laughs> I was That's on a- the middle of a boat on the on the Nile, and I was taking it over and tossing people into the ocean, oh, and no. there was a lion cage there. And I was like, eh, open the lion cage, watch the lions, have some fun. And I was like, well, the lion owns this boat now.
2: <laughs> Life with Pi, the sequel.
1: The lion? <laughs> yes, exactly. Or
2: prequel, I guess, given the time period.
1: <sighs> okay, well... Go check out our review of AC Origins and Super Mario Odyssey and Wolfenstein and all of that good mm, stuff. There's plenty to over read. on the website. Okay, one more thing before we move into the next is- editions of our reports: Nadia Shimagami Tensei Five yeah. coming to the Nintendo Switch. It is going to be a Switch exclusive. Crazy. You it you discovered. SMT kind of for the first time last year, mm-hmm. courtesy of Persona 4 Golden. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, we talked about a little bit about this on the other podcast too uh, about SMT versus Persona, and how I have not really experienced SMT very much yet. And Mike was saying he doesn't like SMT because he doesn't like that first-person view of like getting like dungeon crawling games. Um, so. I think Katie told me I should try 4, which is for the 3DS, and I think they had a, a sequel to that as well, or like a, an addition to it. I should really, basically I'm saying I should really play SMT, and I had a few people tell me that Persona 5 is, is a little closer to SMT than Persona 4.
1: SMT because, yeah. 4 and Persona 5 are definitely a lot closer to one another. I don't I, I've said, so the origins of the series was in like a novel That's <laughs> called right, Megami yeah. Tensei. Yeah. Which became a Famicom game, which then became Shimagami Tensei, which went from there, and it was always this kind of dark vision of a post-apocalyptic Tokyo, the end of the world, demons, etc. And Persona Four Golden got away from that a, a bit. Yeah,
2: yeah. It, Persona Four Golden is really more about. Well, we'll put it this way: I was really kind of struck by the difference between Persona Four and Five in mm. terms of the personas. In four you have you collect the cards, you don't interact with the personas, whereas in five you have to negotiate with the demons and talk to them and, and get them over to your side. They seem more like characters, whereas they're literally just cards in Persona Four. So Persona Four was really more about the friendship and the mystery and and all that and five was more about the more a little bit more about the demonic elements of the series
1: we talked a little bit about this with SMT4 Apocalypse but uh, the thing with SMT4 well, first of all the aesthetics are pretty weird mm-hmm. because the main character it begins with this main character in like samurai town <laughs> uh, it's he's kind of in this fanciful edo era mm-hmm. japan right yeah and then he goes through a a tunnel and into post-apocalyptic Tokyo like you did yeah, cyberpunk post-apocalyptic Tokyo <laughs> and it's hard it, it definitely doesn't pull any punches mm-hmm. and it's so easy to get lost in yeah. Tokyo I I had it took me I reviewed that game and it took me forever to figure out how to get to Ueno <laughs> I was like, "How the heck do I get to Ovano? This is so annoying."
2: Tokyo to scale.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, uh, I in terms of SMT five, I watched the trailer, mm-hmm. and the first thing that jumped out at me is I like the I like the art style. Mm-hmm. It kind of looks persona persona ish, yeah, sort of anime a, a lot more. I mean. SMT always looks anime-y, yeah, anime-ish. Persona
2: but, really kind of leans heavily on the flair and the the presentation and the swish.
1: Yes, the, so much, swish. the swish, 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 swish. <laughs> SMT five looks a little more cel shaded. It looks a little, a little more friendly. Maybe a little more like the uh, what was the SMT game that came out on on the Nintendo's the on the Wii U? I think it was last year. Last, oh, that last was, uh, summer, Fire Emblem,
2: uh, the idol SMT one?
1: Cross Fire Emblem, but That's it. it had ended up with a totally different name that totally escapes me right now. I'm sorry, I'm turning in my geek cred right now, but
2: it's supposed to be a really good game. I, I, would, I would like to see that on the Switch.
1: It is really good, yeah. and I don't remember it at all. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm gonna get chastised. Yes, I know it's a good game, SMT5. Everything that I can see of it, I mean, we saw a vision of a post-apocalyptic Tokyo. Looks very much like the classic SMT post-apocalyptic Tokyo mm-hmm. that I'm used to seeing. Yep, it's gonna be another SMT game. And the thing, so a few, a couple takeaways from this, Nadia. Mm-hmm. First, Nintendo Switch is going to be the JRPG machine of record going forward.
2: Yeah, that, that when I saw that. Uh, it was coming exclusively exclusively to the Switch. I said, "Well, that really sets a precedent right there."
1: Maybe, maybe Square will continue to be making games for the PS Four as well because mm-hmm. they're more of a globally facing company, exactly. And Atlas as well will as well, but those mid tier games, the ones that are meant aren't meant to be breakout mainstream hits, mm-hmm. are going to be coming out on the Nintendo Switch for the yeah. most part.
2: Like between this and Octopath Traveler.
1: Second thing is, it's I, I think a whole new generation of JRPG fans have discovered Persona because of Persona 5. Yeah. And it,
2: was, it was a pretty big seller, as I recall.
1: Yeah, they're going to be in for something totally different with SMT 5.
2: <laughs> Dating is over, kids.
1: Yeah. They, SMT, the obviously the structure is always completely different. The mm-hmm. tonality is totally different. It's a lot crunchier in terms of its mechanics. It, it tends to be a lot more unforgiving. Right. It's almost more actually an Odyssey. Yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I was just thinking of that comparison because, uh, as you say, it's a dungeon crawler.
1: Yeah, it harkens back to the days of. It harkens back to the days of wizardry with its the, first the person days of perspective. The NES. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that. You have to be just in a different mindset. I, I can really enjoy being in the world of Persona, mm-hmm. whereas SMT is all about the really dark story, the mm-hmm. really dark, twisty, turny story, and the the challenge, to yeah. be honest.
2: Yeah. So it's definitely more mechanics-based, whereas Persona is more
1: story-based. I think that it'll be an amazing fit for the Switch because the Switch will be able to do justice to the artwork. Yes. And it'll be nice to be able to play that on either on the go or on my TV. Yes. Uh, Nadia, by the way, before you play SMT5, I I wouldn't say play, I would say maybe don't play SMT4. I think we've talked mm-hmm. about this on the podcast before. Play Strange Journey. What's that one for? Well, Strange Journey, I think it's called Strange Journey Redux is coming out on the 3DS next year. Oh, Okay. Yeah, they're remastering it for the 3DS. Remastering, in square quotes. (laughs) They're putting it out again on the 3DS. And in my opinion, Strange Journey is pretty much the best SMT this side of Nocturne.
2: Okay, that's good to know because SMT is one of those series you look at it and you say, where the hell do I even start? And as you say, it's a very intimidating series. I know it doesn't pull punches. It wasn't hard to jump into Persona 4 that's kind of a, a friendlier game
1: strange journey doesn't pull punches at all it's quite hard mm-hmm. you definitely want to go with a walkthrough in that one it's pretty exhausting but it's so menacing and so fascinating i i love the going to the arctic descending down into a crater with all kinds of like messed up uh floors and things that are happening to your crew and everything that sounds pretty has- creepy. Yeah, it's creepy. Sounds like
2: uh, I have no mouth and I must scream.
1: The aesthetic works for me better than in SMT 5.
2: So that's good to know. I'll definitely, because I I do want to get into SMT, and so that's a good place to start by the sounds of it, and I can get that tucked away before we get into 5, I suppose.
1: Yeah, there's also Devil Survivor 2 that might appeal to you, because it's basically Evangelion.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Mm-hmm.
1: That's also on the 3DS But it's a tactical RPG rather than a uh, straight-up dungeon crawler. Right. Yeah, so... uh, Yeah, either one of those isn't a terrible place to start in terms of diving into SMT. SMT 4... Maybe if you want to defend it to me, cat.bailey.usgamer.net. I I think Parrish really likes it.
2: Yeah, but as you say, I'll be honest, Like the idea of getting lost in a game frustrates me so much. I'd, I'd just rather not... Getting lost in Tokyo, turning <laughs> corners everywhere.
1: Last thing that I will say is that the one thing I really like about SMT versus, say, Persona mm-hmm. is in SMT, you feel, especially Strange Journey, you feel like you're. My favorite feeling to have in an RPG is to feel the sense that I'm penetrating the void, mm-hmm. that I'm delving deeper and deeper and deeper into these this world below mm-hmm. and and i'm putting myself into danger by doing this thing and there are great rewards the further i go but greater danger right and that feeling of getting to the very bottom and winning and then emerging back into the light and breathing <laughs> a sigh of relief
2: victorious
1: smt strange journey has that to a degree uh, as you're exploring each floor and then getting back to your ship Mm -hmm. and destiny two actually also has that as well because a lot of its major kind of dungeon areas starts you in an open area, a big open area filled with sunlight and beautiful areas. And then you start going and delving deeper and deeper and deeper Mm -hmm. into a cave or a ship or just something. And it really conveys that sense of, delving into the deep and
2: yeah i, I actually kind of like that that feeling that's probably why i'm so into the, the steam world dig games yes that's a very it, satisfying feeling
1: it's a feeling that goes back to uh diablo and it goes even further back to the old roguelikes mm-hmm. of like Angband and moria and that kind of thing uh, and actually an odyssey which we discussed last week does it extremely yeah so well. i was just thinking
2: i need to start playing that now that i'm done with mario well I'm not yes. done with mario but i've tucked away the ending
1: speaking of Veteran odyssey 5 uh sorry for no jeremy Parrish this week we were gonna have him on oh. but he uh had a family emergency oh
2: that's of luck to him well maybe next time
1: oh and before we move on i portland gaming retro retro gaming expo got a couple of really awesome things i got some oh, wicked right. final did fantasy art
2: really what'd you get
1: uh it's three postcards uh three little art prints that are the the size of about the size of a postcard uh-huh. that one is of a black mage with yeah. a a fireball yeah. uh with the the fi- you know you know what I'm talking about yeah. the fireball guy uh one is a red mage with uh, a a tomberry <laughs> looking at a sign that says either magic or melee <laughs> melee of course and the last one is a white mage with a hammer uh staring at a cactar
2: that's amazing I and
1: there. I framed it into like a three window frame. So it's like the so. old
2: church paintings. <laughs> yes.
1: No, it's amazing. I really love it. You should work and it. I also got a Super Famicom uh a copy of Dragon Quest 5 on the Super Famicom because yeah, I, I really saw like that. good I, box art.
2: Yeah, I saw that nice because you were like pondering over whether or not you should get it and you're right. That is really good box art, isn't it?
1: Yes, it is. Okay, we we've been rambly. Let's get into the meat of the episode. Let's do a Final Fantasy 9 report.
2: Yay! So, uh, since I was playing a lot of Mario Odyssey this week for obvious reasons, I didn't get like hours and hours in, but it's fine because I stumbled across a couple of important story points. First of all, I met dwarves. That's always important, you gotta meet those dwarves. Uh, this is on the other continent, by the way. I crossed over from the Mist continent to the outer continent, searching for Kuja, uh, whose name reminds me of Kuja, which was the name of my first dog. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I went into the, the dwarf fortress. Uh, Strangely enough, these aren't dwarves that live underground. They actually live above ground, and they're, they're sun worshippers of, of a sort. Or nature worshippers, rather. But they still say Rally-ho. They don't say Lallyho, ho It's Rally-ho. Uh, and then I went to the village of the Black Mages, and that was interesting because I got a few answers about Vivi. And he learned he will he will die soon, possibly very soon, because his fellow Black Mages, uh, all of whom have sentients like him, and they're not like the mindless war machines that are being used to attack kingdoms. They're just kind of stopping. It turns out like they just stop functioning, and nobody quite knows why. They only all they can surmise is that they have a a time limit, and what happens after that they don't know. They just stop and they, they bury them as as they're dead because what else are you going to do uh, and then I passed along I'm basically trying to go to a giant tree sanctuary which is where I'm supposed to find Kuja and uh, I met Iko who is a a summoner like uh, like Garnet except she has a horn and she's six years old and uh, I think she has command of Fenrir but yeah anyway I met her she she has the hots for uh, Zidane of course um, and yeah, so she's part of my party now. I mean, who and... doesn't,
1: who doesn't have the <laughs> hots for Zidane, right? I mean, this, mean, as we've established, she looks like David Bowie.
2: <laughs> oh God, that's right. We had that conversation last time, didn't we? And I said, no, he looks like a knockoff Ronald McDonald mascot from hell. Uh, <laughs> what the hell? <laughs> not so much in game, but when I look at his portrait on the menu screen, I'm like, wow, he's got a funny face and maybe HD just doesn't agree with him.
1: No, Nadia, also, right? th- don't be mean. <laughs>
2: I, I don't think Ronald McDonald is that creepy.
1: So few thoughts. First, mm-hmm. uh, Vivi in the black. So we've had some movement on the, on the VV story. Yes. And the first thing that I thought when you commented on the black mages are stopping is mm-hmm. Blade Runner.
2: It's been so long since I've seen Blade Runner, if you can believe it or not. And I, I haven't retained very much of that, but did the replicants stop moving after a certain time?
1: That was one of the things is that replicants have a very short, very, very short lifespan mm. and will just eventually stop after kind of a. They, they only last a couple years. Yeah, for the which most is what the,
2: the Black Mages, as far as they know, last a, a year or two is their best estimate.
1: Yeah, they have a built in expiration date. And Blade Runner really examines that at some length. And, uh, I mean, it, it's interesting. So we're, we, we're delving into the fact that VV, I mean, he's a doll. I mean, mm-hmm. he's kind of a replicant of his own, right? and
2: the key's going to wind down at some point.
1: Yeah, no, that's messed up, right? Yeah. Um,
2: it, it's kind of sad. It, it, it's just, well, it's actually kind of a sad moment because, uh, well, number one, Vivi has to come to terms with the idea of, of his own death. And second of all, the black mages who are in the town, you know, they're perfectly happy being there. They just want to be left alone to to live their lives and uh then all of a sudden when their friends just kind of keel over and they have to deal with that as well and they have no warning. There's no I guess it's like us. We have no real idea when we're going to go. We can take a we can take a guess, but that's the best we can do.
1: So, Vivi is going through an existential crisis now. Exactly, yeah. And Trying to figure out what his purpose is, if he was built to be kind of this—I don't know—a war machine, a doll, Mm -hmm. something for a singular purpose. And it reminds me of the Rick and Morty joke, where it's a a great throwaway gag, but it's really dark. And where Rick creates a little robot. (laughs) I know this one. And it says, "What am? What?" And the robot says, "What is my purpose?" And he says. Bring You bring the salts. <laughs>
2: no, it's, it's uh, what is my purpose? You pass the butter. Oh, my All God. All right, you pass the butter. Yeah, welcome to the club, pal.
1: And the, the robot goes, just kind of like, looks at itself. And I think it says, oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, and Rick is like, welcome
2: to the club, buddy. I, I love the variation where it uh, has a uh, Edge logo on its face and it says, what is my purpose? You install Chrome. Oh, my God. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so... But Vivi is in a case, is in a position of having Mm self-determination. Vivi does not have to just pass the butter. (laughs) Vivi is no longer beholden to its original creators. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not religious, but one of the kind of key elements of Christianity is this notion of, that we have been given self-determination by some sort of divine creator. And from this point on, we're free to succeed or fail or mess up kind of on our own merits. And that's a blessing, right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: And Vivi is kind of looking at he what happened why he was created and wondering what the deeper meaning is and phoebe there is no deeper meaning yeah you're here now you have free will and self-determination you can do what you want to do you can Mm -hmm. set your own destiny maybe you won't last that long but that's fine there is no deeper meaning there's no deeper meaning for us either The, 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 the cosmos are chaotic are pure chaos we are tiny specks in the grand scheme of the universe. We're just trying to make our way through. Mm-hmm. There's no greater meaning.
2: No, I guess it depends on your outlook. But yeah, that's. I don't want to say I'm a nihilist because I'm not. But <laughs> there's a certain. I, also, I actually kind of find a certain comfort in in that, just knowing that. Well, there's there is a there is an element of chaos out there. Maybe we're here for a reason. I don't know. I can't tell you either way. All I know is, uh, I want to play more Super Mario Odyssey.
1: I take comfort in it because. I know that I am. Things can happen. Crazy things can happen. Bad luck can happen. Good luck can happen. But <laughs> I am more or less in charge of my own destiny at this point. Mm, destiny. I need to go play <laughs> you Should go now. play
2: more Destiny. <laughs> That's your destiny so, to play more Destiny.
1: But I can also understand, of course, if you find out that you've literally been created for a thing. Mhm. Right. And suddenly and, and you're just another you're number 98 out of yeah. 500. Yeah. In the in the factory, you're just just a machine. You were created for one thing. Uh, that could be a little of a mind, uh, mind bleepery right, going on right there.
2: Yeah, especially since the other black mages that Vivi meets. They all they all call themselves by numbers and each other by numbers. And he's the only one with a name. So it's not like we have all the answers about Vivi. Like, why is he separate from these people? Why, is, why did he have a quote-unquote grandpa who raised him? Why does he have a name? So we got to still get into all that.
1: Is there another character like vivi and another final fantasy who kind of goes through the same things and i, I don't mean like being a, a robot or <laughs> having existential crises but i'm trying to think of another character in final fantasy who goes who goes quite that deep i suppose cloud cloud because kind of does. because cloud is going wait what i'm not actually a soldier
2: yeah cloud has to build an, an identity for himself after kind of being traumatized I always found him kind of an interesting character for that reason. But I think Vivi's quest to find himself is a little more straightforward, which is fine.
1: But it's true. I think there are definite parallels there. When you say that Cloud has to build an identity for himself and eventually get to the point where he's comfortable enough in his own skin to say, let's mosey. Vivi has to get, <laughs> Vivi has to, get to that point as well.
2: Yeah, and to his credit, I think he's getting there because uh, I left the village of the black mages. The other party, the other party members, thought he was going to stay, maybe, but he was like, "No, I want to get out there. I want to see what the world's like, and I want to tell the other black mages what it's like because they all want to know."
1: Yeah, go Vivi.
2: <laughs> You're a good black mage. Thank you for joining me.
1: I, I did like the bit where Vivi notices the black mage merchant, and Vivi's like, "What?" <laughs>
2: There's also a, a scene uh, where V uh, is kind of talking to uh, Zidane about the meaning of life. And Zidane's like, you know what I do when I'm confused? And they basically piss. <laughs> Take a piss under the moon.
1: So let's talk about the dwarves really quickly. Yes. So the dwarves obviously introduced back in the original Final Fantasy. hmm They said, rally ho. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rally-ho was apparently Lally-ho in the original Japanese, but was translated to Rally-ho for some reason, which might be kind of like Tally-ho.
2: It's it's very confusing. Did they say Rally-ho or Lally-ho, anything like that in the first Final Fantasy game? Because I do not remember that at all.
1: Though, that's all they say in the first Final Fantasy is (laughs) (laughs) Rally-ho. that's the joke.
2: (laughs) So you can interpret that however the hell you want, I guess.
1: Dwarves? Uh... We don't think of them as being a big part of Final Fantasy now, but they were definitely a big part of the original kind of earlier games. Mm-hmm. They were in the Dwarven Hollows and Final Fantasy III, right? Which the localized version that came out on the DS is when they started saying "lallyho." There's the Dwarves' Castle and the City of Tomra in the Underworld in Final Fantasy
2: IV. I think that's where I first saw the 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 lally-ho.
1: In Not fact, they play Fantasy a Four. pretty big role in Final Fantasy IV because it's the dwarves' tanks show up to battle the Giant of Babel.
2: Yeah, because they basically the underground is a big part of Final Fantasy IV, and that's where they live. And they don't—they can't comprehend what the sea is, which I always thought was funny.
1: Also, they have porn.
2: Yes, they do. They the dwarves like porn, apparently.
1: Yes, they have the, and apparently Cecil is partial to it. <laughs>
2: Time to kink shame uh, Cecil, I suppose. But yeah, there's the lustful Lally Ho it's called. You can find it in the pub.
1: Yes. He, Not in the S N E S version. They cut it, it out it's of the And it's needed too to obtain the Reach Augment. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: reach, huh? It's found in the Dwarven Castle. And apparently it's in the uh, it's in the after years as well.
2: Yeah, there's several copies in the after years. And there's I can't remember what the quest was, but there were, these are hard to obtain friggin porn mags and you find them and it gives you something i forget what it was but i do know that you can lose one if you're uh porum was it porum or palum who's the boy magician i think it's palum if you're palum you have a you take on this apprentice who's uh, a new character i can't remember her name but she's kind of sweet she's studying to be one of the uh like clerics and if you if you basically pick up the porn mag in front of her she'll throw it out and i think you lose it for good if she does that
1: in Final Fantasy Five, uh, Final Fantasy Five was their last appearance before FF Nine.
2: Yeah, I guess so. They weren't in and,
1: six. Yeah, they didn't appear in six, seven, or eight. Um, of course, six was kind of when the series very much started to go in the direction that would later define it.
2: Yeah, because even though it wasn't as modern as Final Fantasy Seven, it definitely still had elements that were less fantastic and more steampunk futuristic.
1: And then after 9 that was it. They didn't appear in 10, 12, 13 or 15.
2: No, I guess Square Enix has plenty of its own races to fool around with.
1: Yeah, that and the original Final Fantasy kind of borrowed a lot from classic uh D&D. Oh, absolutely. I mean uh, to the point where
2: you had to change the beholder sprite, <laughs> <completely>. <laughs> which in turn
1: borrowed a lot from which in turn borrowed a lot from Token. Mm-hmm. And by Final Fantasy VI, Final Fantasy had very much shed a lot of those, its old roots and become yeah. its own universe, its own thing. Yeah, and it's actually, so it, the dwarves kind of outlived their usefulness.
2: Definitely, yeah, because I actually jumped ahead to, to Final Fantasy VI and went back to Final Fantasy IV and I was like really struck by how much Final Fantasy IV resembled one more than six.
1: Which I suppose it made sense for Americans who were playing Final Fantasy Two because it did feel like a direct sequel. It, it really in some did. Ways.
2: It was not a bad like it, it was not a bad progression.
1: No, absolutely not. So yeah, so you, I mean the rat. Let's be honest, the dwarves in Final Fantasy Nine, <laughs> they're just a reference. They oh, they're function. are totally a reference,
2: at, and they're very Scottish.
1: They're very Scottish, and they just function as a. Yep, remember Final Fantasy. We sure do. Just like <laughs> they, just did, like the ant lion that we discussed, I think last week. Yeah, is discussed yeah. All remember that. Final Fantasy IV?
2: But um, they did get mar- they did kind of marry me and uh, Garnet in like a, a ceremony because they wouldn't let me get past uh, go to the sanctuary tree otherwise. So I got married, and then <laughs> Vivi and uh, Queena got married too.
1: So Garnet is back with the crew now.
2: Yep, she's with yep. She's with me now.
1: And she is becoming an increasingly... I mean, she's already always been an important part of the story, but yeah. she's she's well into her arc at this point.
2: Yeah, because I'm actually at Iko's village, which is like a ruined village of, of former summoners, and there's an Eidolon mural there. And basically she just feels like she knows the place, et etc. Cetera, et cetera, and she doesn't understand why uh, Iko can use, like, Iko can use um, summon magic as well. And Iko's like, where's your horn? Because Eco has a horn, like which is actually another callback to Final Fantasy. The summoner class usually has a horn on his head.
1: Oh, uh, yes. No, that is absolutely true. Yeah. And so, yes, Garnet is discovering her powers as a proper summoner, and we are moving in that direction. What do you think of... A- I think it's pronounced Eco. Is it Echo? I don't know, <laughs> she- uh, to be perfectly honest.
2: She's... I, I really have no patience for cutesy, wootsy, tiny anime... RPG characters, but she is useful in that she is the only other one who can summon and, uh, Riona uh, I keep calling her Rinoa because that's what I named her Garnet <laughs> Garnet is the only other one who can summon and she's very sketchy with her powers, she doesn't understand like, what to do with them, so the only summon she has is Remu. whereas Eiko has, uh, Fenrir already who looks really weird, why'd they turn him into, like, a mana beast?
1: Oh, did they turn him into a mana beast? I he haven't just looks
2: this. Uh, all like colorful. And it's like I liked how he looked in six. He was just this big gray wolf against a, a moon backdrop. I mean, he was what he was supposed to be, but now he's all like purple and white. And okay, you're going to end the world uh, uh, with Ragnarok? Okay, well, have fun with that.
1: <laughs> have fun with that. My, my recollection of my recollection of Aiko is that she's kind of feisty.
2: Yeah, t- that's a word for her.
1: Feisty little girl who comes in and helps uh, who helps Garnett find her way, but is al- otherwise sort of a minor character in the grand scheme of things.
2: She has some useful skills, uh, but the thing is uh, Garnet can use a lot of them too, like a lot of the white magic that she has access to. So she's a but, good backup white mage for now.
1: Looking at the, the cast of Final Fantasy, it strikes me that the characters who actually have arcs are Zidane, Garnett, Steiner to an extent, mm-hmm. Vivi and all the rest are support.
2: Yeah, like they kind of get a mention because uh, like uh, there's a small thing going on with uh, Freya and her I guess very boyfriend. Small. Yeah. Very small. She found her boyfriend, he lost his memory, he doesn't remember who she is and she's like, "Oh dear." <laughs> so, it's sad. It's resolved.
1: a sad story. All of them get these like little stories. Yeah. to go on, but otherwise I, in my opinion they mostly function At the service of the main character. Speaking of functioning at the service of the main characters, uh, did you find Amarant? Amarant, Amarant. The red-haired guy.
2: Uh, I've seen him. He's an assassin who's coming after me, but uh, I haven't really interacted with him very much.
1: Did you fight him yet?
2: No, I fought his partner.
1: You fought his partner. Yes, okay.
2: In the tunnel underneath to the next continent.
1: All right, well, we'll get to Amarant at another time. Yeah. So, yeah, you fought his partner. Uh, she's all right, I guess. Like, I don't have a lot of memories of her either. She seems I like almost forgot. kind of a throwaway boss.
2: Yeah, I completely forgot her until you mentioned her. <laughs> so, <laughs> she exists. Uh, yep. Her.
1: And then we move into the Aoife tree.
2: Yeah, I haven't gotten there yet, but that's where I'm on my way to going.
1: Giant trees, they're very much a thing in these games.
2: They very much are, and I guess that ties back to Japan kind of having that reverence for big ass trees, which I appreciate.
1: Oh, is that what it is?
2: I think so. I think it's just a Shinto belief in general. Like, I mean, look at Totoro and mm. uh, that one camphor tree that was sacred because it was such a long lived tree. I always figured that's where the, the mana tree and other legends stemmed from, although someone did mention that uh, Sigurumana is basically ripped off straight from, I forgot the name of the sci-fi series it's an american sci-fi series about an elf that turns into a tree if someone in the comments knows let me know <laughs> because
1: an american sci-fi story where an elf turns into a tree
2: sort of i don't think it was sort of shahana or anything like that i can't even remember who wrote it but oh shanara shanara something like that i don't know if that was it though
1: i think that was terry i don't know
2: terry brooks was
1: Terry books. Brooks was the one who did Magic Kingdom for Sale, sold. That was the books. crap out of me. <laughs> really? <laughs> I did I not. I love like that it. story.
2: It was okay. Yeah, it, it was, was an interesting I liked premise. i like the in it.
1: Eh, whatever you say. <laughs> I. Obviously, Signumana has the mana tree, another game with the mana tree, Tales of Symphonia. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is. Tales of Symphonia basically steals a large part of Final Fantasy X's pilgrimage idea. Which and you're uh, making a pilgrimage to a mana tree, if I recall correctly.
2: Yeah, which is also uh, that other game that Tokyo RPG Factory did. And I'm totally blanking on
1: the one that oh, is so Tisuna. memorable that we can't even remember its I name. Tisuna, We're yeah. real good at remembering names today. <laughs> I think this is like the third or fourth RPG that we've forgotten their names for. We're getting old. I guess so. Uh it's actually super annoying.
2: It is. Sorry, people. This is the old person podcast. Be patient with
1: <laughs> I'm <us>. old there <laughs> are
2: wolves after me.
1: All right. Uh final thoughts on Final Fantasy Nine. Any more observations?
2: Uh it's just uh I'm I'm I think I'm progressing at a good clip. It's a it's a really good, solid Final Fantasy game. Again, I don't know where it's gonna rank amongst my favorites, but there's a very enjoyable thread underneath the whole thing that really connects everything. Like, I really enjoyed Final Fantasy XII, The Zodiac Age, but I didn't find the main story that compelling. Whereas, I did like the characters, though. Whereas, I find Nine a little more engaging in terms of its battle system, its music, its, uh, its graphics are nice for the time. So, yeah, I- I'm enjoying myself. What more can you ask?
1: And we're getting to the end of Disc 2 now.
2: Oh, are we? How many other? Four?
1: There are four discs, but the fourth disc is basically wrapping up. Mm-hmm.
2: I feel like you still have a long way to go, but maybe I'm wrong.
1: Yeah, you have a fair amount to go, yeah.
2: Okay, so it's not like Final Fantasy VII, which front-loaded everything on disc one.
1: No, no, definitely not. Disc one, two, and three, all... It's a pretty meaty RPG, all things considered. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But disc four is very much like, this is the final level. Get ready. <laughs> all right. <laughs> You'll know. You'll know. All right, moving on to the Secret of Mana report. Hooray. Okay, so uh girlfriend and I had a chance to play some Secret of Mana, and we didn't get that far, all things considered, but we did beat the witch. Yeah, so, that's really cool.
2: That's the hardest part in the, of the whole game as far as I'm concerned.
1: Yes, yeah, so the last time we talked, we uh, we had just gotten the axe, Mm-hmm. And so we picked it up again. We headed out. Uh, we restocked ourselves, and we headed back into the haunted forest. And uh, some fairly basic, uh, some fairly basic uh, dungeon crawling going on with this, yeah. slashing through things, working our way toward the witch's castle. Eventually, make it into the witch's castle. And the witch's castle has, I don't know, possessed chairs and things like that. <laughs> That's right, no,
2: stupid folder chairs.
1: Not particularly difficult or packed or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, just fighting your way through it, and then eventually you get to the witch who sends Diluc away to somebody else, Thanatos. Oh, Thanatos. Somebody named Thanatos, and it's like, okay, and oh by the way, she sicks her pet spiky on you
2: oh yes she does
1: and okay i guess we should start with how cheap spiky is
2: so cheap so very very cheap if he doesn't stun lock you he'll knock you unconscious or set you on fire or here's the thing about spiky the one thing that might save you is that you can use a bow and arrow to reach him on towers
1: so the first thing that happened so we get in we're like all right time to fight spiky we died like immediately. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like, what? <laughs> and then we tried again and we died again. And I was like, OK, there must be some trick that we're missing here. And so I just look it up and it says I look it up in a walkthrough and it says Spiky is cheap. <laughs> Spiky will set you on fire. Spiky will do this and that. You can basically just have to outlast him. And I'm like, good. Oh, that's excellent. <laughs> yeah, that's All good right. Game design right there. So here's, here's what we ended up doing. We went down to the bottom of the screen together mm-hmm. where Spikey couldn't really easily get to us because oh. it seems like his abilities have a maximum range. He could yes. set us on fire still. Oh. He just wasn't setting us on fire as much. <laughs> <laughs> and if he jumped at us, we had a little more warning. Right. Because you're you're the, the, the arena is this kind of narrow area. Mm-hmm. And there are towers on either side. Yeah. And Spikey will jump up on these towers and be kind of hard to reach. Mm -hmm. And so Spikey was doing that. And then if he's on one of these parapets, he'll set you on fire, which is annoying. Oh, yes. With his ability, which is no miss. Like, there's no way to avoid it. it never misses. Uh, Except
2: maybe when you're a little higher level, you might get out of it. But for now, no.
1: It does absurd amounts of damage. I did, that is not good boss design I'm sorry no, it's absolutely not, not very fun I, I
2: 100% agree with that that's something I brought up in my SNES classic review of the game it's just such an oddly placed boss fight because yes there are other bosses that are hard to reach but you can take them out easy with magic and I don't know if you, when you're on fire do you ever use uh, medical herbs to, to put yourself out
1: uh, to wake ourselves up from being unconscious
2: no, to, you can use a medical herb if you're on fire. <laughs> Don't ask me how it works, but if you're oh. if you're on fire, you can use an herb to to clear it up. Of course, you'll run out really fast because he does it all the freaking time. But oh, I didn't know that. To keep in mind. Well, of course, yeah, okay. Hey, why would you? It's a stupid. It's a stupid connection, but it works.
1: <laughs> I I didn't even think about that. All I knew was that if I got set on fire, I was going to be losing a lot of health really fast.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: So basically, we did outlast them. We, we stocked up on candies. We stocked up on chocolates. Yum. Yeah, yeah, choc- candy and chocolate, breakfast of champions. <laughs> They'll heal you every time. And we got some, we invested in some water of life, like the mm-hmm. cup of life. Cup of wishes, I think they called it. Cup of wishes. And basically just tried to ration it as much as possible while also doing damage. Mm-hmm. and eventually we were able to kill Spiky, but it was a pretty... I don't like any boss encounter that takes agency out of a player's hands, yeah. where you're just totally at the mercy of them. It's like, oh, yep, this is always going to hit, and this is always going to knock me unconscious. And this happened with the stupid werewolves, too.
2: Yeah, again, once you're higher level, stuff like that happens a lot less. And I think there are... Here's the thing about Secret of Mana, too, is that the wrist items that you equip, most of them have bonuses that keep you from... Like certain status ailments So that's always good to know But the game doesn't tell you that You have to i look it up on a
1: walkthrough So we beat Spikey That was good uh, We The witch was like Oh I'm good now Yeah. <laughs> and we're like wait wait a minute
2: Shouldn't you go to jail
1: You can't nope, just nope. say that you're good now <laughs> you, you did a lot of damage here lady <laughs> and, and Gives you the whip And she gives me I got a whip I was like, "Hey, Emily, go with the whip," and she's like, "Really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, trust me." And she's like, "Yeah, I really like the whip."
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a good weapon.
1: The whip is a really good weapon because uh, I remember hearing somewhere that the whip is pretty good. So I was like, "Yeah, take the whip, take the whip." Mm-hmm. And we went and we head back to Undine. I think mm-hmm. their name is and got magic.
2: Yes, uh, I think it's Luca who who is the friend of Undine. And yeah, you meet Undine. You save her from that uh, that big vor fetish thing a little oh no it was a little lizard the biting lizard yes
1: oh god right yes i did that that was a weird boss battle yeah we it just suddenly appears and we're like okay and we start (laughs) hacking at it and it wasn't a hard boss battle per se it was just matter mostly a matter of continuing to stun it Mm -hmm. we were just trading back and forth hit 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 hit, hit 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 and I was like, man, this thing is really taking a lot of damage. I wonder yeah, if they're... this is a boss or something. And then it died. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So this is the thing I'm supposed to kill. Well, okay, cool.
2: <laughs> Mission accomplished.
1: It's it's so nondescript.
2: I just remember oh. it starts off as like kind of a, a tadpole thing. And you beat it up. And it turns into that like lizard with a long tongue that eats you.
1: Yes, yes. It, it starts off as very unassuming.
2: Mm-hmm. Just kind of hops around
1: yeah, and so now we got magic. Uh, accessing the magic is actually kind of annoying because you have to go into menus rather than being yeah. able to just I don't know, activate it.
2: yeah, the uh, iOS uh, remake and also the new one that's the new remake that's coming out. You have hot can't really call them hotkeys technically, but you have basically one button setups where you can access the m- magic immediately.
1: I think I'll talk about more more about this when I get to the next secret of mono report because I'll have a chance to. Play with it some more, but mm-hmm. it strikes me that it's a weird fit for a action RPG because it's really slows down the pace. Yeah, because no, you're having I... to go into menus to use the magic. Like all of a sudden, the whole dynamic of the battles completely changes.
2: Oh, trust me, I know. <laughs> That's why I usually save magic for bosses.
1: Sounds about right. And you, you don't really need magic for the most part against basic enemies no i could definitely see magic being very uh the girls cure prims cure spell
2: that's very important that one yeah you'll use that one a lot i will say that it pays to sometimes level up magic to level one or two because the more you use a magic spell it'll level it'll level up and one of the bosses coming up uh once you get the uh yeah you already have undyne's freeze spell one of the bosses coming up is very vulnerable to fire and uh so having that level up by level or two will really do a lot of extra damage to him.
1: Do I level up the magic by using it a lot?
2: Yeah, like it levels up as you use it. So you would just like kind of go beat up an enemy with it, and uh, maybe go back to an inn, sleep. There's there's fairy walnuts that restore your uh, MP, but they're pretty expensive at this point in the game. I think only Nico sells them.
1: Okay, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. So. Let's talk about Sprite really quickly. (laughs) So I don't know. Sprite has a name. We just called it Sprite. Yeah, I I named
2: mine Sprite when I was a kid.
1: uh, uh, My girlfriend continues to insist on calling it uh, a girl. And she's like, no, look at that hair. It's it's like so pretty. Definitely a girl. (laughs) And I'm like, "Mm, I'm not going to assume this thing's gender because I think it's a guy. (laughs) Uh, I remember reading somewhere that it's a guy, so I wouldn't necessarily assume it's a girl. But I thought that the Sprite was a girl. So now I've just decided that Sprite doesn't have a gender. Sprite is Sprite.
2: Sprite, actually, I've heard is referred to as a general neutral pronoun in uh, Japan. Aha. So.
1: But Sprite really does have really pretty hair. Sprite has very pretty hair. So when we got Sprite for the first time, Sprite had a boomerang. And I could not figure out how to use Sprite. Uh, Sprite kind of followed our party and didn't do anything and then died (laughs) like like almost immediately and being dead meant I had to spend money to revive it Mm -hmm. and because it wasn't doing anything I was going hmm this is a problem (laughs) well until I figure this problem out I think I'm just going to leave you dead because he kept dying too fast
2: yeah that's understandable
1: Uh, so Sprite followed us around as a ghost for quite a while (laughs) <laughs> because when a character dies and secret of mana says sprite sees the reaper
2: yeah and you see a little cute little reaper above him.
1: and if all of them die at once they're dead Yes. but i finally figured it out nadia the action grid eh? action grid but here's the kicker and this is so stupid you can't you can't shift them around on the action grid when you're controlling a particular character like a different character you have to switch over oh. to control them, and then you can move them on the action grid.
2: That's weird. I didn't know you had to do that. I thought you just like just selected their menu.
1: Nope. If you if you go into the action grid from your own character, you will only see yourself.
2: Huh. That's weird.
1: You're like okay. So kind of like
2: they had like an a separate action grid icon on their individual menu, on their individual ring menus, but I don't know.
1: I maybe remember. they do. It's not a great menu system, let's no, be honest not. It's here. it's very,
2: It's very cute, but it's not intuitive.
1: Somebody, Some designer was having way too much fun with that uh, with that menu design.
2: <laughs> I think that was uh, Nasser.
1: And uh, so I finally intuited that you probably had to switch over. And so mm-hmm. I had to look it up. I had to look up how to switch, which turns select out you have button. to hit select. Yeah. I guess I could have pressed all of the buttons until something happened. Mm-hmm. But press select, switch over to Sprite, go into Sprite's menus, and then you can put Sprite on the the action grid. And then once I put Sprite on the action grid and was like, yeah, be more aggressive and almost sort of approach enemies, it was actually fairly intuitive.
2: Yeah, the action grid is not too bad for the uh, character AI.
1: No. And I was like, okay, just kind of be sort of aggressive and help us out. And once that happened, yeah, Sprite was running around, like, messing people up with uh, its boomerang all the time. And I was like, great! (laughs) (laughs) How
2: about, like, I think Sprite starts at level 1, which really doesn't help. So you gotta build them up.
1: Yeah, you have to really build up Sprite. But Sprite build-up grew pretty quickly, to be Mm -hmm. perfectly honest. And uh, with me and my girlfriend kind of being at the front line, um, she her using her whip me with the sword. Uh, She has really great reach with that thing.
2: Exactly, yeah.
1: And I can come in and finish off with the sword, and then Sprite can kind of hang back and mess things up with the boomerang. It works out really well. We have a good system going on. Everything works now. Good to hear. In terms of the story, the story is pretty mm, not that interesting. Does it get better?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's... it's Definitely not, like, the most robust story in history. Um, I like the characters. I like Prim. I, I like how she's the one going after her boyfriend instead of vice versa. Mm. Um, you find out more about uh, the other characters. So you do find things out about them. And But it's not, like, we're not talking about, like, Final Fantasy six here.
1: <laughs> you no, know, it, it, it's almost Zelda-ish. Mm-hmm. Down to... Uh, down to the fact that you go and rescue Diluc, but he gets sent away to somebody else, yeah. like teleported away. It re- <laughs> reminds me of when you go and try to go rescue Princess Zelda at the end of, uh, after getting all of the emerald, sorry, all of the pendants in The Link to the Past. Yeah, and then, then, you then
2: just stand there like an asshole while she's sent away.
1: And Ghanim's like, nope, too late, you're too
2: late. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going behind this
1: curtain now. I am very magical. Surprise! <laughs> yeah, so uh so thoughts so far uh i emily and i kind of came away emily being girlfriend kind of came away going yeah yeah that's good uh yeah we're enjoying ourselves so far uh it's a fun co-op game
2: yeah i can it is a fun co-op game
1: it requires a fair amount of communication going on yeah and uh i'm I am curious to see where we go from here. We're, it's still early days yet. We got yeah. magic now. That's very exciting. <laughs> That's
2: that'll help you a great deal with future game changer, bosses. baby. Yeah, and you'll visit some pretty interesting locales. Like Mana is an interesting world.
1: Yeah, it's gorgeous. It's a beautiful world. Yeah,
2: it's a very, it's a very nice looking world. Even now, I look at it. And it's just kind of one of those places you want to visit. You know,
1: definitely one of the best looking games on the SNES.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I have to say, for the, the remake coming out, uh, Nico is really cute. <laughs> he You can barely see him over the counter. He's a little a little cat merchant.
1: Oh, yeah. N- you mean Neko?
2: Neko. Okay, is that how it's actually is it supposed to be Neko? Or? Yes, um,
1: Neko. Neko.
2: Okay. Yes. I learned Japanese today.
1: OMG. All right, Nadia, as usual, we go through the comments and react in this segment of the podcast, except <laughs> I didn't put up podcast notes last week because I, well, basically I edited the podcast and I had to leave immediately. I oh, had right. yeah. no time whatsoever. I was in a total rush to get out the door. So uh, we don't have any comments, but we do have an email that I can oh, read. That's nice. And you said to to wrap up, wrap up this podcast. And this one is from Andrew Rayburn, uh, AKA UZ, E-W-Z-Z-Y. Oh, sorry. If I'm pronouncing that incorrectly and, uh, UZ is from Indianapolis, Indiana. And they say, you talked a lot about Pokemon and grinding, but not much from a casual perspective. I found in the 3DS era that if you make smart decisions with type matchups and don't avoid fights between gyms, you'll be ready when you get there. This also helps keep from being wildly overpowered and encourages using items for once. Once you beat in the game and are getting into breeding, you've chosen your grindy fate. The story <laughs> doesn't need any. So, Nadia, uh, what are your thoughts on this?
2: Um, I, I think they're more or less on point. I Pokemon is not... When I think grindy games, I don't think Pokemon that much. Sometimes I grind a Pokemon because I want a specific evolution early in the game. But it's not a painful grind if you're just following the story. But as we discussed, if you want to be a competitive Pokemon player, good luck. You have about 50 million years of grinding ahead of you. But I don't as, know what
1: they're talking about because I did lots of grinding in the original Pokemon.
2: <laughs> well, the original was kind of a special case, I think.
1: Well, it was definitely a throwback. Mm -hmm. and especially if you picked Charmander.
2: Which I did. So yes, I did a lot of grinding because if you go up against Brock with an underpowered Charmander, well, goodbye.
1: Brock and Misty. Oh, that's
2: right. A double whammy.
1: Yeah. is it Even if you go out and you manage to get hold of Pikachu or um, if you're playing Blue, I think there's a Bellsprout that you can get. Yeah. Both of which are very useful against Misty. You're still going to have a tough time because that Starmie is really strong.
2: Yeah. I think I remember the first, like the earliest Pokemon guides that Nintendo Power published, like within their magazine back in the day when I got it. They said basically, if you want an easier time, choose Bulbasaur. I'm like, I I want a dragon. Screw you. Yeah. So I I chose my fate.
1: Misty kicked the living, ever living crap out of me the first (laughs) time I ever fought her. I just, uh, the first time I ever played Pokemon, it was so much fun because. I knew literally nothing about this world, right? Yeah, all brand new, and all of these monsters were so interesting to me, and I felt like I was truly stepping out into a new world with my with my new friend in tow. Yeah, and even basic lines of dialogue like "Oh, the Pokemon really seems to like you," just really (laughs) stood out to me. And so, the first time you meet Brock and Misty, when that music kicks in. And you mm-hmm. see the Onyx appear, and it looks so huge on that Game Boy screen. Yeah, it's but pretty intimidating. Misty Starmie is so freaking intimidating. It's huge for one thing. Yeah, and it can rev- it can heal.
2: <sighs> oh, you that one freaking character in a in a Pokemon game like the Mill Tank in in Silver and Gold.
1: Oh uh, yes, what a bastard! <laughs> <laughs> Stupid cow! Stupid cow! Um, and the Starmie can, and Bubble Beam will just utterly mess you up. You're gone. If you are, even, even if you break out Pikachu, the neutral damage from that attack will really severely mess you up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And also it looked powerful. We were talking at the beginning of the episode about how a really good attack can matter a lot. Weirdly enough, Nintendo kind of lost, lost the plot a little bit in making its attacks feel satisfying. Mm -hmm. But in the original Pokemon, the attacks felt so satisfying.
2: Yeah, like you could really tell Hyper Beam was not screwing around.
1: Hyper Beam was going to mess you up. (laughs) Hyper
2: Beam was going to send you into the next century.
1: And all they did was they inverted the colors to go black. Yeah. And then had the charge up where you're going, "Uh uh-oh. And then that very distinct sound effect as this giant beam comes at you.
2: (laughs) Is that an ice beam? If you had a dragon, you knew you were dead
1: or hydro pump
2: hydro pump yep
1: where you had the the tons of water and then the the bubble the you know the, yeah. the waves of water coming at you or surf so many yep. but yeah bubble beam having the three parts of the bubbles coming at you yeah with the really strong sounding sound effect you're like oh this is gonna take a ton of damage off and the first time obviously you're You break out Charmander, and Charmander is dead.
2: (laughs) He is not coming back from that one.
1: So the upshot of all this is that I have had to grind in the story in the original Pokemon. And in fact, there was a fair amount of grinding, especially in the first three games of the series, I would say, because you would have to... Getting to the point of being able to take on the Elite Four definitely required grinding above and beyond anything that you could get just by playing through the story.
2: Yeah, the first go against the elite four um, especially against lance that's a that's a pretty rough pretty rough go
1: as the series progressed though they introduced the item uh, the experience share yeah uh, the thing that was interesting about the original Pokemon it was actually suboptimal to have a full party
2: yeah absolutely
1: because you if you had a full party you had to distribute the XP among them too much mm-hmm and as a consequence it was much better to carry three at most Mm -hmm. three that can carry that could cover all of the elemental weaknesses and then you could beat the game yeah but alternatively you could do just fine with just blastoise (laughs) you could totally just make it through the entirety of the game no problem at all that's what my friend did he got an abnormally strong blastoise (laughs) blew through the game no problem
2: (laughs) i'm just picturing him getting like this like big muscly squirtle from professor oak like oh okay um yeah i'm gonna raise this
1: the, the best he got was um he had an hm slave probably like a, a ratata, maybe something to fly with and blastoise done <laughs> <laughs> blastoise will mess you up Man. but they got a lot smarter with the design as time went on they encouraged you they found ways to encourage you to have a full party yeah and experience share really helped with the grinding uh so to their credit when it came to the main story nintendo got a lot smarter and a lot more forgiving uh taking on the elite four is still kind of a pain if you don't do a little at least a little bit of grinding
2: yeah like i do have to say um in sun and moon i found myself for the first time in many years struggling a little bit against the elite four
1: yeah, it definitely is, encourages you to go do some side quests, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which side quests are often the substitute for grinding, where the game kind of goes, okay, you've done enough. Now go over here and do some side quests to get your level up because you're, you're, you're blowing through this game too quick.
2: <laughs> uh, strange enough that Pokemon Sun and Moon has some pretty good stories to their side quests. Like, I love the Eevee side quest.
1: Mm, that's that what you were saying. That was done really well like I, like I was saying earlier in the episode a good RPG a good side quest needs to have an interesting arc.
2: Mm-hmm. And that did. That had a really interesting arc.
1: Destiny 2 deliberately gates your progress in the story. To, to, uh, to continue on in the story where I am, you have to be at least a level 11 and you have to have a power level and it recommends a power level of 120. Mm -hmm. And if you just are playing straight through story modes and not really doing much else, chances are you'll be like level 10 Mm -hmm. with a power level of like 110 or something like that. Right. And so you have to go and do some side stuff before continuing onward through the story, which Mm. eh, whatever. (laughs) I personally don't like artificial gating like that. But I ultimately, but it, it wasn't that bad because there's so many, there are actually a whole lot of really pretty good side quests, like side adventures that you can do yeah. to get interesting loot or uh, level up tokens or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so it was totally painless. As long as I don't have to sit and just sit there and keep killing enemies over and over and over again, I'm fine.
2: Yeah, I don't need to go back to the 90s. Thank you.
1: Yeah, by and large, regular games, games with a regular story have gotten a lot smarter about grinding and Pokemon included. I just kind of resent that, well, as I said in my article, I I think that grinding, it it annoys the heck out of me that grinding is treated as this kind of crutch Mm -hmm. uh, to make up for shortfalls in content like at the end game of Destiny (laughs) or just as a way to even worse get you to monetize
2: oh yeah yeah that's the real evil right there
1: yeah but yes it is fair to point out that no pokemon if you just play pokemon extremely casually Mm -hmm. you're probably going to be fine but if you go anywhere beyond casual which by the way playing just casually is essentially you're playing the tutorial and that's it the whole (laughs) the whole point of Pokemon is diving into all of the extra stuff. And that can take on many different forms. You can do the fun side quests. You can try and catch them all. Oh, yeah. You can uh, breed. You can breed monsters. Uh, You can try to get shinies. You can Mm -hmm. competitively battle. But every one of those activities require grinding.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely.
1: Including just catching legendaries and catching them all because... You have to level up monsters to the point where they can take on those legendary monsters. They and that faster. requires grinding.
2: Faster, stronger.
1: Faster, stronger, better. And you need to be able to get enough items to be able to capture them. Mm-hmm. So literally everything outside the story requires serious grinding.
2: <laughs> but the story on its own is, is pretty grind-free.
1: I just remember sitting in study hall in when I was a, probably a junior or a senior in high school. No, sophomore. Sophomore in high school, sitting in study hall, where I was ostensibly supposed to be studying with my Game Boy under the desk, (laughs) just, and I calculated it out, and I was like, okay, I can make it through at least two Elite Four runs during this study period.
2: (laughs) So you're learning math.
1: And then I got, yes, exactly. Good studying there. (laughs) And then uh, continue, and then I was like, okay. There's just enough time to beat the Elite Four one more time on this bus ride home. Oh my god, <laughs> what was wrong with me?
2: I can't remember how many times I beat the Elite Four in the first game, and then I did like the missing note thing, so their names were all screwed up at the end.
1: <laughs> I never did the missing note thing, because I was, I was afraid of corrupting my save data. Um,
2: thankfully, mine did not corrupt except for that one thing. Everyone's names are just a bunch of junk.
1: Thank you so much for writing in. Uh, We always appreciate hearing from you. And if you want to write to us, obviously leave a comment in the show notes that will actually be happening this week or drop us a line at usgamer at usgamer.net. Okay. of Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Follow us. On the Twitter machine, that would be me at the underscore catbot, Nadia at Nadia Oxford, and of course, Face US Gamer is on all of the relevant social media platforms as well as US Gamer Net. We stream every Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, this past week, we, we've been streaming new games for the most part, but occasionally I jump in and commandeer the stream to do a thing like our SNES Classic Marathon, which was a lot of fun. And, of course, uh, yeah, and always make sure to write in to us. Nadia, you're on the flagship podcast. What did you talk about last week?
2: What did we talk about last week? Was it you mean yesterday or last week?
1: Yesterday. <laughs> it's the end of the week. I'm tired.
2: Oh, tell me about it. Uh, we talked about uh, a lot about Wolfenstein because Katie's playing that. We talked about Assassin's Creed Origins. Uh, we talked about the... Elephant in the room. I don't even know if it's an elephant. It doesn't count as an elephant. Basically, we talked about Neogap and everything mm. that happened, all in capitals there. Yeah, so we talked a bit about that. We, we, we went over a nice range of topics. Oh, and we talked about Animal Crossing
1: Mobile. Animal Crossing Mobile. All right. Yeah, you can go subscribe to the U.S. Gamer Podcast on iTunes. It's Mike, Katie, and Nadia talking about the broader stuff. Mm. Yeah, it's more news-focused, but it's a, it's a good, fun podcast with good... Uh, chemistry between the hosts okay we'll be back as usual as always next friday to talk about more rpgs more final fantasy 9 report more Secret of Mana report and all of the other things until then i've been cap alien for nodding myself thanks for listening and until next time happy adventuring